Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. What a day that was yesterday. Not going to lie, I went to bed a little sad. (laughs) That Chargers game, just a sour note to end the day on. Just because I know the narrative that will be spun from it, and I'm tired. But I'm not tired enough to let it go. So I do have Steven Ruiz joining me today to discuss what is fair and what is not fair to discern from the Chargers play this year. We'll also talk about the Bills in much the same manner, and Stephen wrote about that subject in great detail for The Ringer in an article that came out today, a day on which you can get plus 600 odds for Josh Allen to be the MVP. He now has three quarterbacks ahead of him in that race, with Mahomes out in front at plus 150 and Hurts and Tua tied at plus 400. We'll talk about that and why I don't totally see the race that way. And hopefully we'll do all of this with the nuance that I feel is missing in a lot of these types of conversations where everything is so extreme. This guy had a bad game. They cannot be in the conversation anymore. You are banished. This guy played well. Is he the best? Like not everything has to be an argument for or against. Some things are good and bad. And what tips the scale into one direction or another at any given moment is kind of what interests me. But anyway, we did have some very interesting results yesterday that we do need to discuss, like Miami moving into first in the AFC East with the Bills and Jets tied for second. We saw Tampa Bay come through with the big win in front of awesome fans in Germany. And by the way, the Bucks are now at this moment net positive in scoring differential on the season. Plus three. We'll see if they can keep that going. It'll be interesting to see how the Seahawks respond to that game also when they retake the field in week 12. They have a bye this week. Fingers crossed we don't have to listen to any conversations about whether or not they were a mirage in the meantime. I'm really excited about tonight's game to see if the Eagles can remain undefeated against the Commanders. And I'm very excited to welcome Steven Ruiz to the show right now from The Ringer and The Ringer NFL Show podcast. He's kind of become a sounding board for me in the last few months on Twitter. I find myself DMing him when certain narratives get out of control, in my opinion, and I feel compelled to respond. You know when you see a tweet and you just want to hit reply and push back? Well, rather than engage publicly, I find myself sending him my thoughts, and then I feel better because I've said the things I needed to say, and they're off my chest, and I can go about my day. So thank you to him for dealing with that, and thanks also to him for making time for this. Let's break the huddle. Oh, yeah, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Steven, hi! How's it going? Getting <laughs> caught up. A lot has oh, happened. man. So, Stephen, you know that I want to talk to you about Justin Herbert um, since we're in the fan club together. Um, And I think we probably need to call an emergency meeting to like halt a narrative that is taking place surrounding his play. But I do want to start on a positive note um, because I'm, I'm really fired up about a number of different things coming off of that Sunday slate of games. But let's start in in the in a positive sense with that Minnesota and Buffalo game and probably the most fun game that I've seen in the NFL this year, just in terms of like pure enjoyment and uh, what we want all NFL games in a perfect world to be. I was trying to think of like the last time that I felt like a game really paid off in the way that that one did. And I mean, I go back to like Raiders chargers and that game where they were trying to get into the playoffs last year when they were just, you know, taking turns scoring and making plays. And it was just so fun to watch these two teams uh, by the way, I found myself completely rooting for Minnesota. Who knew? 
Who knew that I was rooting for Minnesota? This happens to me every week. I don't know if it happens to you, but I find myself just like actively invested all of a sudden in a team that I had no investment in 60 minutes prior. Yeah, I think this season hasn't given us a lot of elite teams, I would say. So like fun teams, it makes sense. You want to like cling on to them. And this game, I agree. Like it wasn't just that the game was exciting. It was like it hit every single beat. Yes. That we expected it to hit. Like you had the Kirk Cousins just moments, the Kirk Cousins, the Kirk Cousins moments. That's what I'll leave it at. And then you had Josh Allen. He made like a bunch of good plays and there was question marks about his elbow coming in. But I thought he answered those questions, but he didn't answer the questions about the the bad decision making in the red zone. It got worse, if anything. And then you have the fumble at the end. It was just like a perfect football game. Like you said, just entertainment value. Ten out of ten. And then also the wide receivers, right? Like the fact that Diggs made that one catch where he goes up and you're like, how does he come down with that and and still control the ball? Um, You know, are we still doing stick them on our gloves? Like what's going on here? The incredible athleticism that he showed and then to be outplayed in that department, the outstanding catch department by Justin Jefferson, who had the drive of his life. I mean, just play after play after play, but that fourth and 18 with 130 left and he goes up and like does the Odell catch but contested this time and then controls it somehow when he comes down just like the catch of the decade I mean I know we we get really into hyperbole and that's also something that I want to talk to you about is uh, how we have to react in the most extreme way to everything that happens every Sunday somehow as a community, but, but I think that that's a fair reaction there. Talk about that catch in that way. No, I think so too. Like I, I tweeted, it was better than Odell. And like yeah. when you add in the stakes and the fact that it was contested, it, it was just a more impressive catch. And then I felt like that, that moment, that answer to Stefan Diggs's catch, it's like the bizarro version of Kirk's uh, failed sneak. And then Josh Allen immediately like doing a worse sneak somehow and fumbling the ball. It was, it was a perfect football game. I love football games where like the stars take over. And I felt like that's what happened. And and that's, what's so weird about this Vikings team and what makes them so different. Like we've seen Kirk cousins put up big numbers on bad teams before our mediocre teams. This year, he's kind of putting up mediocre numbers on a good team. And it doesn't really make sense, but I thought this game was a good illustration of how the Vikings have been winning. It's just been screw it. When it's third down, just throw it to Justin Jefferson. He's going to make a play. Oh, just incredible. I love the TJ Hawkinson ad, by the way. And I don't know about you, but I was watching that game and I was like, I feel like he's been a Viking forever. Like it just looks right. Him in that uniform, like it just fits for some reason. And uh, I fully embrace that trade. I think it was massive. Um, the fact that that, that, that turned into a, the, the sneak that you referred to there by Josh Allen, that that turned into a defensive touchdown. The, like the only scenario that the Bills could not allow to happen was the thing that happened was just incredible. Um, There are people who have taken Josh Allen out of the MVP conversation after the last two games. Um, His odds have lowered. Do you think that that's fair? Or do you think that that is likely to pivot in the other direction before the season's done? I think both. I think it it could be both. Like he's thrown away the last two games. There's no other way around it. But at the same time, even this game where he has the three turnovers that changed the game, he was the only reason they were in it. Like he was creating all of the offense. The run game worked a little bit early on because they were able to, to get Patrick Peterson isolated where he had to make a tackle and he just couldn't do it. 
but eventually the Vikings adjusted and it was all just uh, Josh Allen again. Like that's what it's been this year is just lean on Josh Allen's talent and he'll do the rest. Now we've seen how he doesn't have that much of a margin for error. If he makes any mistakes, it's going to be a contested game and they might lose the game. And I, I'm, I think there's been a lot of overreaction to yesterday's game. That was just a fluky loss. And I know it's coming off the Jets loss, which was also ugly. But this one, I thought for, what, 40, 50 minutes, the Bills looked like one of the better teams in the league. They looked like a, a significantly better team than the Vikings, who came into the game 7-1. I thought it was an impressive performance outside of those three plays, but those three plays we can't ignore. And I think that does factor into the MVP debate. But he has, what, two months to turn around the narrative? And I think he's capable of doing that. The the MVP debate to me gets kind of frustrating because and I suppose you could say that this stems from the word valuable being in the mix. But I also feel like outstanding. uh, Even if it was most outstanding player, I think my conversation here uh, would still remain the same. And that is that what you just said about Josh Allen and how much he brings to the table for the Buffalo Bills. So when he is not at his best, then they really can't overcome that because he's their best player. Everything's structured around him. He kind of, he doesn't drag them along. They're a very good team, yeah. but they rely on him to be outstanding. And that's what drives the ship there in Buffalo. I think you can't make that argument for other people in the league. Like I know Tua has suddenly entered the MVP conversation and I am not going to say anything bad about Tua. I think Tua is a playing outstanding. Tua is answering all of the questions and he's rising to the level that we wanted him to rise this year. But no one looks at the Miami Dolphins and says Tua is the reason Right. Like I would argue Tyreek and Jalen Waddle and some of the moves and the pieces that have placed around him to allow him the opportunity to rise. And then again, credit given that he has risen and he has done his part. But if you don't have Tyreek and you don't have Jalen, is he is he rising the ship? Is he dragging them everyone along with him for the ride? I don't necessarily think that's the guy he is or. I don't know that we know that, I suppose. So I, I have a hard time with the, like Josh Allen's out of the MVP conversation, but Tua is in the MVP conversation. I'm not sure Tua is the MVP of his own team. And that's yeah. not to say he's not playing well. I just don't know that he's the piece that makes it go. Yeah, and I think I think the Tyreek and Waddle point is a good one. And I would also put Mike McDaniel into that, that oh, yeah. conversation just because I, I, we've talked about the separation thing. That's gotten a lot of attention that, Hill and Waddle are just creating a lot of separation, making things easier for a quarterback who really doesn't need it because he is accurate. But I think the thing that isn't getting covered enough is how wide open these pockets are. And I think Tua deserves some credit for that because he gets rid of the ball quickly. But I also think it's a schematic thing. And there was a press conference earlier in the season when Tua was talking about how he's a shorter quarterback and he needs a wider view to see receivers, to see over the middle. And I think McDaniel has gone out of his way to provide that. And he's done it in a way that I think is impressive for a first-year coach because he's taken the Shanahan offense, which has worked in other places, but he hasn't just copied and pasted it in Miami. He's like adapted it to fit Tua. Like Shanahan's not running RPOs like the Dolphins are running right now. They're able to do that because of Tua and because Mike McDaniel is open to that, to changing his offense. And like I said, the offensive line, it's easy to it's easier to play quarterback when the pocket is wide open and the receivers are wide open. There's no way around that. And 
yes, Tua is playing well. Like you said, I agree with everything. His game against Cleveland was the best game I've seen so far this year from him. And I, there's no way to take credit from anything he did on Sunday. But it's just so much easier to play quarterback when you have this environment that's perfect and it's impossible, yep. almost impossible to evaluate him in a vacuum and not consider yep. that. I totally agree. And also, if we're going to put him in the MVP conversation, then you better just hand the executive of the year award to Chris Greer. Like, don't like no debates. If if Tua is in that conversation at all, then Chris Greer, here's your hardware. Go for it. Because you went out and got exactly the right pieces that he needed in order to succeed. We talked about it all offseason. Okay, well, the table is set. If he can't do this, then they got to go to get a different quarterback. And and they've all worked out. He goes out and gets like Jeff Wilson Jr. is an afterthought, you know, in, in that trade. And Jeff Wilson Jr., all of a sudden, 119 yards on the ground. He sees something right. there in San Francisco. And I'm sure Mike McDaniel is a big part of the conversation there, right? Like, go get that guy because I can use it. But they, they've, they've, I mean, the aggressive nature of his trading, um, the fact that he went and got Tyreek, the separation, he fixed that problem, which was a massive problem for the Dolphins in years past in terms of wide receivers not being able to separate. Um, is Mike is Mike McDaniel the coach of the year? I, I think he's my pick. I understand why there are people ahead of him in that race. Like Kevin O'Connell is going to get a lot of love for having the Vikings where he has them. The uh, Robert Sala in New York, uh, Dayball in, in also in New York. Uh, but like from a film standpoint, from an X's and O's standpoint, when I turn on the film, I think he's been the most impressive offensive play caller across the league. Forget about like first year head coaches. I think he's done the most. And I know there's that three game stretch where Tua didn't play and that's been held against him to a certain degree. But I think that like, that is so unfair. He did not finish a game with the quarterback that he started it with. And when you're and these are three different quarterbacks, like Tua is different from Teddy and Teddy's different from Skylar Thompson. And when you're crafting game plans for those guys, like the play calling is going to be different. Like he had to throw his play sheet out after like what, like one drive, two drives in three of those games. Yep. And like, it was ugly, but it wasn't like disastrous. I don't think like Teddy still, uh, yeah, Teddy in the Vikings game still threw for 300 yards. I think Tyreek still had 177 yards receiving. So it's not like the offense just totally fell off a cliff. And I'm willing to give him a pass for those three games. I think he's my, my favorite for the award. And I think like as the season continues and we start to see a little bit of regression from the Giants, from the Jets, from the Vikings, I think he might go ahead in that race. I mean, you mentioned Kevin O'Connell, McDaniel wins that hands down uh, against O'Connell for me. I mean, look at what he's had to deal with. And you just laid the table there uh, from a quarterback standpoint. And they still have uh, seven wins. Minnesota's still, I mean, not not Minnesota, Miami's still sitting there at seven wins. Minnesota has eight wins. And it's been very impressive in terms of their ability to win games. But they haven't looked like world beaters in any of those games. They look, and statistically, I think that the stats bear out that they're like an average above average team. So I think it's much harder to make that argument for Kevin O'Connell than it is for Mike McDaniel, considering all the things that McDaniel's gone through and still has his team where they are. Um, 
looking at the the bills are still you know a six win team the the chiefs have won seven games too they've lost two nobody nobody holds that against patrick mahomes right it's not like patrick mahomes is out of the mvp race because uh the chiefs lost a couple of games i don't know i just feel like the narrative thing takes such we take such wild swings every week like it has to be this very extreme reaction um, and this week, one of those extreme reactions that we're seeing is Justin Fields, where his name popped up um, by one specific person who I love and respect and think is an outstanding analyst. But I think it becomes a little hyperbolic when you try and insert Justin Fields name in the MVP conversation. I feel like that's maybe a step too far and we can we can appreciate what he's doing yes. and and take in the skill set that he has shown us and still acknowledge that maybe there's a little bit of room for growth and also from a value standpoint his team's not winning. Like right. it's it's great and it's uh like it's exciting what he's doing and clearly he's bringing a lot to the table but but it's it's not enough for his team to win. And when you're yeah. the quarterback, that kind of has to factor in, right? And he like low key threw the game away in the fourth quarter against like there was the long run, which was very impressive. But when you look at his passing highlights still week to week, it's still clear that there's a lot of room for improvement. And and it's not just like the MVP talk, just him getting compared to Lamar Jackson all of a sudden, it just just seems really weird and out of nowhere. And totally unfair to a guy that won unanimous MVP in his second season and is not playing with the, like you want to compare supporting cast. I think you can make that comparison between Baltimore and Chicago right now, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's too much too soon. And it kind of relates to the Tua discussion because I, I do think Dolphins fans can take a victory lap on the fact that we were questioning if Tua could make this offense work. Mm-hmm. I mean, the answer to that is obviously, and maybe we yep. didn't know Tyreek was going to be like this, but it doesn't matter. Tua has gotten the most out of the supporting cast. But why can't we just say that instead of just jumping ahead to, oh, he's a top five quarterback and he's elite because he played four good games this year. Right. And that's the same thing with Justin Justin Fields. Recognize the progression he has made because there is progression. He was never this type of scrambler and this type of runner, even at Ohio State. I don't think this was on the scouting report that he was going to be the next Michael Vick all of a sudden. But it happened and we can acknowledge that, but we don't have to go overboard because the passing stuff is still rough to watch. And it's going to, and if he's going to become a player, like a long-term viable starter, a good starter, he's going to have to figure that out. And that's way more important than the rushing because you have to assume defenses are going to adjust. I know they kind of sprung this on the Patriots a couple of weeks ago, and that's kind of sparked this offensive turnaround, but defenses get tape and they're going to adjust. And the way the Lions defended those designed runs that was like straight out of 2010. Like these weren't like next level, next generation read option plays. This was like basic ass zone read from like 2005. I, I don't understand how Detroit did not have a better plan. Had they not watched the last three weeks of film? I know. Well, we can say that every week about the Lions defense, I suppose. Unfortunately, restore the war. Um, but Justin Fields, a- again, This is not to take any, like what we've seen from him is incredible. I've been begging the bears to just like, please use his skill set. Like, please let him run. Like we need some design runs. That's what we've seen in the last few weeks. I think it's an an outstanding development. I think that's exactly what they should have done. Um, On the flip side, we see some people who say, well, this is stunting his development as a passer and we'll, 
um, you know, like hastened his demise because we need to develop him that way. I see it the opposite. I see, I think that this is going to open things up in the passing game, buy him some time to develop as a passer. And then you also, uh, not for nothing, uh, don't have very many pass catching uh, weapons out there for him to develop that part of his game. They go out and get Chase Claypool. And I think that that will help. Although he was weirdly unused yesterday. Um, his stat line was he was just silent. Um, do you think that there is any truth to the notion that that just allowing him to run the ball the way that they have and making that the offense does stunt his development. No, I agree with you. I think the opposite is true. The fact that he could run makes him a viable player right now. If he could not run and they weren't running the football, we saw what that looked like. It's just not a viable offense and he wouldn't be able to play. And the only way to get better as a passer is to play football. And this is allowing him to play football. And I think it's going to buy him some development time that he would not have gotten. So I, I do think this is the only chance he has to develop is to play like this. So yeah, I'm with you. I just, that's totally off base. They've scored 29 points in three straight games and lost all three. How incredible is that? It's pretty like, good. What? It's pretty good and bad at the same time. Like the off, the fact that the offensive staff has gotten this out of, out of yeah. this that collection offense? of talent yes, is, exactly. is impressive. Even if like the defense is questionable right now, although like fields has contributed to that. Like he, he threw a pick six. I think they win that game. The defense looks a lot better in hindsight if he hadn't thrown that. But yeah, like the turnaround for this offense is a it, it's a good sign for this coaching staff. You saw, I'm sure, at the end of that game, they popped up that graphic as they cut to Dan Campbell to celebrate the fact that his Lions got a win. And they said first road win as an NFL head coach. And I was like, Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Like, like if you could, if you could find a way to, to like, just throw some water on this happy moment for Dan Campbell, it's just like reminding everybody the fact that he has been a head coach for, you know, as long as he has and has yet to win a game on the road. I didn't even realize that going in. I Neither saw that graphic and I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> also a great Sunday for them. Cause the Rams lost. And then all of a sudden they look just like one of the worst teams in the NFL. And they, of course, own their draft pick. They did not think that that draft pick was going to be as high as it is. And yeah. now Cooper Cup, although Jordan Rodriguez tweeting out that they think that they avoided worst case scenario. Like, I don't know that that necessarily makes it a good scenario. And they're already in a bad scenario as a as an offense in general. But Man, uh, speaking of bad scenarios for an offense, our boy Justin Herbert has just mm. This has been the hardest thing for, of this season for me to deal with is watching all of the negative developments within that offense from an injury standpoint. And uh, like our boy who we are, we are massive fans of Justin Herbert. Um, I don't think that this is a bias. Like I didn't come to the table thinking like, you know what, Justin Herbert, I knew him when he was seven and he's just a nice kid and I'm going to root for him and I'm going to have blinders on. Like I became a fan because of his skill set. He won me over because of his quarterbacking. Like I didn't have to be won over. I have absolutely no bias. Like I live in Los Angeles, but like, come on the chargers. Like, no, that's not what I'm coming to the table with. I think he's an outstanding quarterback. And unfortunately I think it is being wasted. Um, partially because of the offensive scheme, the people that are around him that don't take advantage of his specific skill set, And then also the injuries this year, like Daniel Popper covers the team for the athletic wrote an article and he 
said there's a difference between an excuse and an explanation. And I think we can't say that enough because people are quick to chime in like, oh, you're just making excuses. This isn't an excuse. This is stop it with the narrative that Justin Herbert has regressed this year, that anything that happens on the field that's related to the Chargers is because Justin Herbert isn't that dude that we thought he was. Like, there's no evidence, in my opinion, that he is not. The injuries have been insane. Yes. I mean, Stephen, they're playing without both of their starting tackles. They had a practice squad guy get called up to start his first game in the NFL at right tackle. Uh, they don't have Keenan Allen. They don't have Mike Williams. Uh, oh, by the way, they lost Gerald Everett during the game to a groin injury because, of course, the O-line's not holding up. The wide receivers aren't separating. They need the big play downfield to take advantage of his arm. They neither have the time nor the speed to actually execute that. Where do you stand on what you see with the Chargers right now? And uh, is there any way for them to turn this around with the pieces that they do have access to? Other than all that, everything is fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. I mean, we're not even talking about the defense. You know, Joey, right. Joey Bosa, who needs him? It's fine. But yeah, I, I, I do think there's like a path to them turning this around. It's just getting the receivers back. I, I have been very loud in my criticism of Joe Lombardi, but I'm not holding this recent stretch against him. I, I don't know what you do as a coordinator with these pieces. This is, this is like the team you see in the third quarter of the the second preseason game. This isn't even, uh, this is not an NFL roster right now. So, if anything, my appreciation for Herbert has grown this year. I think the one thing that this has highlighted this little stretch is that he can be a little robotic. Like he's a little too by the book. I don't think it's really hurt him, but I think if he could just live a little, it would help the offense a little bit over the What like, do you mean by that? Like scramble, throw a pass into coverage. You have the arm to make those plays. And I I get not trusting Trey McKitty in a contested catch situation, but you're I, I think you do have to try something. You have to go outside of your comfort zone when the situation is this bad. And we haven't seen that from him. I think he's tried to do it within the structure of the offense, but I I that's the one criticism I can come up with because you watch the film, like the Falcons film. He averages, what, 5.3 yards per attempt? The numbers don't look good. There's an interception, only one touchdown pass. But when you turn on that film and you watch it without all the noise, without looking at the box score, it's quarterbacking perfection. Like, I don't think he made a bad play, maybe one bad play all game. Maybe one. And you look at the, the box score at the end, five yards per attempt. People are tweeting about how it's another bad performance for Justin Herbert. Like, did you yeah. watch the game? Did you watch the Sunday night game? I don't know what else no. he could have done. That, that, that's the only explanation. I know there are some like high leverage mistakes that I don't think are necessarily all his fault. Like people are still talking about that Texans game from last year where uh, Jared Cook stops on a route and he throws a pick six on in a game that's already decided. Like the Texans are winning that game already. It had nothing to do with the outcome of that game. And it just seems like there's this new narrative where he's a bad fourth quarter quarterback. I don't know where that came from because like statistically, there's no evidence to back that up. And then we all saw he's the a guy Raiders who throws game. picks. Steven, didn't you know? Yeah, yeah. That's does what it, they you know, say in the locker room. As long as you ignore the concept of percentages, he throws a lot of interceptions. <laughs> Just ignore the denominator. And then, yes, he's a he's a mistake-prone quarterback. And did we not all watch week 18 last year? Are we having clutch questions? Like, that was the most, most clutch performance I've ever seen by a quarterback. Just throw after throw after throw on fourth and 10 when everything was against him. 
it's it's ridiculous it's it's not based in reality it's it's just not i bet if if this criticism was valid like the criticisms we are hearing what are we hearing like turnover prone ridiculous mm-hmm. uh, that, which is just like again it's not accurate the turnover prone thing is a it's inaccurate there are a few moments that are high profile where he's turned the ball over and you you turn like a couple specific situations into this narrative of like, he has to fix that. Well, like pay attention to all of the other snaps that he plays. It just doesn't make sense. And then there's like this, this take that he's just like an arm. He's just like a physical talent and like his, the mental game, he hasn't caught up and he's not, I don't know. He's not processing well, which is just ridiculous. And if you ask his coaches, which I did during training camp, I wrote a a piece about his processing and how it's really his superpower. Like every play he reads out perfectly. If anything, he's, he's too efficient with how he processes because sometimes he doesn't give his receivers a chance to get open. And I think that's a valid criticism, but that's the only one, like all the criticisms that I actually hear in public just make no sense when you watch the film. And that's why I feel good about where I stand on him. And that's why I feel like this, this isn't bias. And I'm not just, it's not confirmation bias. I'm not clinging on to preseason takes, like watch the film. None of the, the criticisms are valid. And I would say like you, like I didn't come into his NFL career with takes on him. If anything, I had a negative perception of him going into the draft. I thought he wasn't going to be good based on his Oregon film. And he convinced me in like two months that I was just an, I was wrong. I'm, I'm stupid. I'm like he's one of the best quarterbacks that I've ever seen. And that's still the case. And he's showing it each and every week on film. I mean, I feel like when you look at their offense right now with who they're putting out there at wide receiver and, you know, maybe tight end next week, uh, depending on how Gerald Everett looks, their best chance in a game is to feed Austin Eckler give him a chance to make plays because he's their best offensive player, not named Justin Herbert that's on the field, but especially against a strong defense like San Francisco, that's probably not going to work. You're probably not going to go pick up a whole bunch of yards every single time because they're good too. And if you just start throwing it downfield um, and cross your fingers that somebody is going to make a play, then that the chances that he throws a pick are going to go up. And then all of a sudden we're doing whole segments nationwide about how he's interception prone. I just feel like can't really win this one. I have heard people suggest, and I, and I wonder what your take is about this. There might be something to it. I kind of think there might be, this is a fair criticism that maybe he should get a little bit more fired up and fight back against the system or like be a little bit more like you, you have talked about being critical of Lombardi um, I also look at Justin Herbert's low dot again, prior to these last few games, um, and think like, maybe he should go, you know, walk into someone's office and be like, yo, this isn't what we're going to do anymore. You know, maybe there is something to that. I've heard that criticism leveled against Derek Carr too. like, check out of those plays, you know, like find something better, be a little bit more assertive. I, what other quarterbacks that aren't like, 40 years old are doing that though. That's, that would be my pushback against that. And I don't think Herbert's ever going to be that type of guy. And maybe he is saying those things behind, behind the scenes. I I just think it's probably a good thing that he's not saying it in public. If he is like not taking the Aaron Rodgers approach is probably the smarter route here. Uh, I haven't heard Josh Allen ever say that. And there were certainly questions about the bills play calling last year when they weren't calling runs. 
we haven't heard anything out of Pat Mahomes. And there were certainly questions about their play calling during their, their slow stretch last season. I, I just don't, I don't know. We're grasping at straws. If that's the criticism of him, that he's not advocating for himself. And for all we know, he is. There was also a decision in that game. Um, just going back to yesterday's game against San Francisco at the end that I know both of us disagreed with, and this is a San Francisco criticism. Um, the Niners opted for a field goal at the end of the game to uh, take a six point lead. First, there's a math element involved wherein a six point lead doesn't really do anything for you because the chargers still have a chance to win the game on their next possession and now know exactly what's required to beat you in regulations so that inspires them to be aggressive and use all their time and downs trying to score as opposed to trying to tie you, therefore giving you another shot to win the game. But also if you go for it and you get it game's over. And if you don't get it, then the chargers get the ball at the one and have to drive 99 yards with zero timeouts left, as opposed to the better field goal position or field position that you inevitably give them. If you make that field goal after a kickoff, um, this is something that I, I feel like, we've kind of gotten to a point where I am surprised that coaches still would do this because there's been enough written like maybe five years ago, but like this has been on our radar for the last few years. Um, Kyle Shanahan somehow didn't, didn't read all those stories though. Yeah, I guess not. What's, what's always the argument against going forward in that situation. It's like, Oh, you have to consider these factors that the the math doesn't consider. What are the factors in this situation? The factors are that the, the charters have, a terrible run defense. The 49ers hang their hat on being able to run the ball. The other consideration is that the Chargers have nobody on offense. Do we really expect them to go the length of the field and get into field goal range with no timeouts when their starting receivers are Josh Palmer and they're throwing the Trey McKitty on every third down? It, it, It was, and then to top it all off, them coming out to try to get them to jump off sides, which would not have given them a first down. It would have just made the the fourth down a fourth and one instead of a fourth and two, just the, just the most cowardly approach possible. And I, I don't understand this. How did this become like the tough football guy take to, to take the points? Why is this not like the macho football man? Like, let's run it down their throat. I don't understand. So the people in your comments that push back, Uh, after you tweeted that they should have uh, gone for it rather than kicked. There were people in your comments that pushed back that they would only need to go 60 yards as opposed to 99. They're factoring in worst case scenario. They're conservatively thinking. They're not thinking if you made it, they're thinking if you missed it. Uh, And then, um, then they would go 60 yards for the conservative approach, which is to kick a field goal, right? Yeah. So, and to tie it, which is not what anyone wants to do. Nobody wants to tie. You want to try and win. So the whole conversation is rooted in this very conservative worst case scenario mindset, as opposed to A, go win the game or B, they're going to try to win the game and they'll have a chance to win the game. Another consideration, the Chargers literally signed their kicker like two weeks ago and he has not been, he wasn't even impressive in the game. Like he barely made the field goals he made. And before we, like you laid out perfectly, in a vacuum, going forward is the right decision. And when you add in all these layers specific to this matchup, I I don't see the argument. There's no point in pushing back against this other than you're just advocating for being conservative. I don't know. I mentioned uh, Derek Carr when I brought up 
Justin Herbert and kind of a little bit more of a, maybe a passive mindset or like a go with the flow and not speak up and be critical openly of either a system or teammates or whatever. Um, Derek Carr uh, at the podium after that game uh, was very emotional and started crying and um, said, I wish everybody in that room felt that same way about this place as a leader that pisses me off. If I'm being honest, that was probably as close to that line of calling people out as I've seen Derek Carr go um, talking about buy-in to me uh, that has to reflect poorly on Josh McDaniel. And I kind of think that he is lucky after that game that Mark Davis is still paying John Gruden and probably just cannot afford financially to pay another coach to not coach his team. Because after that game, I thought they have to fire him. Like you can't lose to that team, the Colts. Like you can't let this season go in the direction that it's going. You can't have Derek Carr and Devontae Adams calling out the fact that people on this team are not giving effort or buying in like it's just snowballing in such a negative way. Raiders fans are pissed. And I mean, Raiders fans who have everybody's back all the time, like very publicly, like defend the team, go to bat. They're like, I'm out this year. Like it's bad. They can't let it go any further. I, I would be shocked if they made it through this week and nobody loses their job. I do think it's like a bit easier for Derek Carr to kind of do the, oh, we're not buying in enough thing, just because I do think he has like a close dialogue with Josh McDaniel. So he probably gets like the why He's, he gets it explained to him, whereas the other players may not have that that discourse with the coach and they're just seeing the results and they're like, oh, we just lost to a guy that was coaching high school football a week ago. So I, I do think there's some of that there. But yeah, like I if I'm Mark Davis, I'm considering making McDaniels a, a one and done coach if it were not for the financial obligations they still have to the other coach I, I get that their offensive line isn't great but they have more than enough pieces to make this work like they have the weapons they have a quarterback say what you want about Derek Carr and I've criticized him in the past for being too conservative but he is a good quarterback and he's a quarterback that allows you to do a lot of things in the passing game like he can run a real drop back passing game which is rare in the NFL. And it just doesn't work. We, the Devontae Adams just disappearing is a, a huge red flag for this team. And the one thing we could say about Josh McDaniels is we've never seen him highlight a star receiver before. Or I should say since 2007 when he had Randy Moss. But that's a long time ago. It's been 15 years. Randy Moss is retired and in the Hall of Fame already. And I think it's fair to question how good Josh McDaniels is and whether he deserved this job in the first place. Because... Outside of his time with Tom Brady, there's not a lot of evidence that suggests that he's the type of play caller that deserves this job. And aside from the play calling and the schemes and all that kind of stuff, like just putting the X's nose aside for a second, I think the conversation about there not being buy-in in the locker room, yes, part of that is on the players and maybe you just don't have the right people there from a mindset standpoint, but I also think that that speaks to Josh McDaniel's leadership because Rick Basasha at the end of the year last year, that was the thing. These guys were all playing. They played as a team 
better than the sum of their parts were like better than their individual talent. They were more talented collectively. And I think that a lot of that had to do with how much buy-in they had and how much they wanted to go hard for the person next to them. And I mean, there was a play, uh, well, the Matt Ryan 39 yard quarterback run, which is gross. And like you, you, Someone needs to get fired just for letting Matt Ryan run for 39 yards. Like, what are we doing here? But watching that play back, um, 27, I think his name's Webb. I was watching it and he's like jogging after him. Like someone else will get him. Like he's he's the second closest guy to him. Like he's not like right there, but there's no effort made whatsoever. Like he probably thought he's not going to go for that far, but there was no effort. And to have guys out on the field who are not putting forth any type of effort and or are out mentally at some point that has to go back to Josh McDaniels. And I have not been up there in Las Vegas. I'm not around the team. I don't see his interactions with the players, but his personality that we've seen in the past when he was in Denver, and that was a long time ago. And what we see of his personality when he was in new England, I'm not sensing any kind of like, I don't think this is a guy who stands in front of a room and makes people want to run through a wall for him. He might be a really good play caller. He might be a really good X's nose guy, but I don't think he exudes that warmth or that like, I don't think he necessarily sees as part of his job as a head coach is making people want it more and pulling that out of themselves. I don't think he has that skill set. And I'm not saying you bring like a guy like Rick Passaccia back or that they should have made him the head coach, but the contrast between these two teams in these two seasons is too stark to not blame the leadership there. And if there wasn't the Denver stint that we can look back on where these that was a problem was getting the locker room to, to buy in with him. And yes, he was young, but the fact that it's happening again that we're, and we're not seeing that buy in when we watch the games, it should be apparent. You could say what you want about Gus Bradley as their defensive coordinator last year, but people weren't loafing on defense last year. That's why they were always in games. They didn't throw games away. They didn't give games away. They were eight yards away from beating the Bengals in the wild card game. That was, what was that, uh, 11 months ago now? And look how far they've fallen with a coach who was supposed to be like a trendy pit or trendy hire. Like he was a coach that's been sought out. Over the last, what, five years now, the Colts tried to hire him. They basically did hire him. It's, it's been bad. It's been as bad as possible. And I really like the fact that they were aggressive in the offseason. And, and instead of just laying over and being like, okay, the Chargers and Chiefs, it's their division for the next 10 years, they went after Devontae Adams and tried to give Carr the pieces he needs to, to keep up with those guys. But, it, I mean, this is a worst-case scenario. And, I like, it's the, it's the end. It's the end of this era. Like they have the escape clause with Derek Carr's contract already built in. And I don't see if things continue on this pace, yeah. how you don't take that. Yeah, They have to, especially if they're picking second, which I think they're in line to do now. Yeah. And that's the bummer. I mean, you, you watch Derek Carr, you know, crying at the podium. And I feel like um, I'm not saying he's the perfect quarterback. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not going to defend what his flaws are. And there are some but I just don't think that he's the problem. And so he's going to, he's going to lose the opportunity to remain in Las Vegas just because circumstantially they got to, they got to kind of start over and it doesn't make sense to pay him. And so I, I think that's a bummer. Is I think it it's a Stafford situation. I think man. it might be a Stafford situation. Like a coach might go out and get him and get his, his own version of Matthew Stafford. And I think like Carr 
like you said, not a perfect quarterback. Neither was Matthew Stafford. He had his flaws too. And like Carr in Vegas, I think Stafford wasn't the problem, but he also clearly wasn't the solution or part of the solution that they needed. I think you could say the same thing about Carr, but in the right system where you can highlight his strengths as a passer, which I don't think the Raiders have done this year. I think he has a chance to put up a Matthew Stafford-esque year. I don't, it's not going to end in MVP talk. It's not going to end with him leading the league in uh, EPA, but I think he can carry a team to the playoffs if the pieces are right around him. And then one thing, one more thing on Josh McDaniels, I think we can question whether he is, whether the game has passed him by because this approach to offense was like a fullback on the field, condensed formation. They're running a lot on, on first down. They're not, the Patriots, at least last year, weren't calling a lot of play action with Mac Jones. Like this is like four years now where McDaniels has had flawed offenses. Sure. But he has not found a solution. If anything, New England's offense last year got worse down the stretch. You can say the same thing about 2020. You can definitely say the same thing about Tom Brady's last year there. And it's getting worse in Vegas. What do you think happens with Josh Jacobs at the end of the year? Because he's balling out, but he's a running back and somebody's going to have to pay him. And will they pay him? I don't think the Raiders do it. I just don't think he fits their timeline. Like he might have two more years like with this level of play but yeah i think a, a total rebuild makes the most sense but do you think then josh jacobs ends up going somewhere else trying to predict like it is there a team out there who does pay top dollar for josh jacobs i think you could definitely convince one of these teams that doesn't have a running back like buffalo if buffalo can get josh jacobs for cheap i think that just changes the dynamic for the offense like i i get the running backs don't matter argument but the one way they do clearly matter is breaking tackles. And there are a lot of teams, good offenses that have running backs that just aren't good at running the football. I think you could say the same thing about the chiefs. Like part of the reason CEH has had some trouble is just, he's not a good runner. He's not a good pure runner. They drafted him because he was a receiving back. And I think that's where the league was going the last five years, but we're starting to see the pendulum swing the other way. And I think a running back like Josh Jacobs, like Nick Chubb, like Saquon Barkley this year, his value is going to increase around the league. And I think teams will go out of their way to get him. Josh Jacobs leading the league in missed tackles forced, um, tied with Nick Chubb. Um, the thing that goes against the argument to sign him for that purpose, though, is that also in the top seven are three rookies, Damian Pierce, uh, Kenneth Walker. Nope, sorry. I keep thinking, I keep thinking of Travis Etienne as a rookie. That's kind of fair, right? Kind He's like is. a baseball rookie. It's his first year. Um, but my Urban point Meyer being, doesn't count. Urban Meyer season doesn't count. <laughs> Tre- Trevor's a rookie too. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what what happens with Josh Jacobs this season because I think the running back and do you pay him or not? And I think I think I think I kind of side with the the side of the argument that says don't. But if you can get him on a relatively good deal and maybe a two year contract and somehow get him to sign in a free agency situation. Um, then that would be interesting. I want to be happy for the Colts after that game. I want to feel like, you know, good for them. And, but my primary response after that game is just anger on the part of the Raiders. Like, I feel like it was more about the Raiders than it was about the Colts. And I'm struggling to shift that into a, what Jeff Saturday brought to the table. That's positive for them moving forward. There's a part of me that's like, he gets Matt Ryan. 
You know what I mean? Like, like the whole conversation for the last few weeks was that the owner was the behind the decision to pull Matt Ryan. And so Frank Reich didn't have, who was clearly his best quarterback. He didn't have access to him for the last few games. And then all of a sudden Jeff Saturday's in. And I don't know if like the pushback to the Saturday hire was just so strong that Jim Mercer was like, okay, go take him. Like we're going to win this no matter what it takes. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but clearly that was beneficial. It helped that the Raiders were playing like the most vanilla defense. Like they were just like, okay, fine. This defense is too hard for you. Then fine. We're going to simplify it. Like just go out there and play like the most base high school defense against the Colts. And like that doesn't work. You don't play a high school defense against a high school coach. That was their their biggest mistake. Oh (laughs) man. What do you, what did you see from the Colts? Is there, is there a positive that you can take away from that, that spins forward and gives me hope if I'm a Colts fan? Cause I, I talked to one after the game came up to me and was like, Hey, how about my Colts? And I was like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't provide it for him. And I know he was excited. And I was just so angry about the Raiders. I was like, well, you're not gonna play the Raiders next week. And then I was like, damn it. I'm such a bitch. He didn't need that from me. <laughs> I think the fact that Matt Ryan is playing again is a reason to be optimistic for this season at least yeah. like they weren't gonna win the division with Ellinger but I think like the Titans they won again last week somehow they're keeping uh, they're staying atop this division but I think there's still a chance if you go on a run that you could at least threaten the Titans I don't think the Colts are going to do it but if their best chance lies with Matt Ryan I I think that's just that's the difference that's why they won the game if they had Matt Ryan for the Washington game I think Washington I think Indy wins that game and I don't think Frank Reich gets fired and we avoid this whole situation. We avoid that very bizarre press conference, which we don't need to get into, but it was very bizarre. And I don't think that this win is like proof of concept that they made a smart hire. Like, can, let's let's pump the brakes on that and wait for them not to play the Raiders, like you said. But just playing the better quarterback makes a huge difference. And I think having him there to supplement a inexperienced coaching staff was a big help. And I don't think it would have looked as competent if it was Ellinger back there instead because you could have Ryan conceivably like call the game from the line of scrimmage because he I'm sure he knows that offense like the back of his hand I want to be clear too that Jeff Saturday could end up being a great NFL coach like my criticism of that hire and the feelings that I have about it have nothing to do with Jeff Saturday I just feel like it's you know, when people spend their whole lives trying to become an expert at something or get better at something that is like a craft, you know, like being a coach requires usually a lot of um, reps at like play calling and leadership and all of these different things. And when people kind of like devote their life to being something and then don't get an opportunity because you give an opportunity to somebody who's shown no interest in going down this road in the past, I feel like that is just, I just feel for all of the coaches that were completely overlooked in this situation. It has absolutely nothing to do with Jeff Saturday, who might turn out to be a great coach. The gut feel might be a right, the right one. He might be the perfect person for this job. My criticism has absolutely nothing to do with him. It's just, you know, I think we can all relate to like, you work really hard to be good at something. And then people are like, I'm going to get creative <laughs> and I'm going to go do something crazy. Hire my friend. It's just so yeah. just a coincidence that it's my friend. My question to, to people defending the move and saying that it's not the product of whatever you want to call it, cronyism, maybe. Would any other of the 31 owners hire Jeff Saturday? 
The answer is no. They wouldn't even consider it. And the guy that he used to play for and apparently has the type of relationship where he's calling him during games and asking him what's going uh, wrong just happened to be the higher like and then you have Ursa getting questioned it was a fair question about the Rooney rule and I know like it doesn't apply to interim right. head coaching hires but, but also he, what like we're talking about that like he didn't that's not a rule like it shouldn't have to be a rule period right. yeah yeah he said the that's quiet the part point loud. of it right the yeah. fact he basically told us that if we didn't have this rule we wouldn't necessarily go out of our way to interview minority hires our yeah. candidates and and the fact that he was defensive about it and pushed back with this like weird, like, oh, do you guys get held accountable? Do you guys get fired when you do a bad job? Yes. We do people get fired in the media all the time. Do you? You're you're the owner of the team. Literally nobody could fire you. Yep. So yep. that's that was just a ridiculous response that I think gave away the game. Like it it kind of tipped us off that, like, yeah, he knows that he's guilty of something here and he's defensive about it. Were there any other games this week that jumped out at you that you had like strong feelings about the Bucks finally winning? Uh, I, <laughs> I saw um, Randy Mueller, who I love, the former uh, Saints general manager and CX said, uh, and I assumed that this tweet was about that game. He said, oh, maybe Vegas knows something uh, after all because the Seahawks were favored. This was my game of the week that I picked the Seahawks from a betting standpoint. I was like, I don't even understand it. Um, I have been maintaining all year long. The Bucs are the only like team that has been underperforming that I'm still clinging on to hope. I absolutely think that this could turn around because the pieces are all there. We've seen it from them in the past. It is somewhat inexplicable that they're playing so poorly, like different than the Green Bay situation where like they just don't have pieces and it's all kind of a mess. And it makes sense that it looks bad. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me that Tampa Bay was playing so poorly. So if they, if it suddenly clicks and I mean, you knew this win was possible every single week. Anyway, my point about Mueller is I was like, I wanted, I literally started to, to answer back on tweet. And I was like, Vegas has picked them to win every single game this year. Like they've literally been favored in every single game this year. I don't know that we can like award this one to Vegas, you know, knowing something that we didn't know. They were just like, it's got to turn around. It's still got to turn around. Like at some point you're going to be right. Yeah. I agree with you on that too. I like, I like comparing Tampa Bay and green Bay. I feel like they both got similar wins yesterday. I would, I, I'm more confident in Tampa Bay continuing that because they did get the running game going and like, it wasn't great stat wise, but it, I think it just shows how bad it was before coming into this week. And then that just like opened up the rest of the offense. This was, was, Tom Brady's highest time to throw. I think the run game and the fact that they were running the ball somewhat effectively slowed down the pass rush, helped out the offensive line. Uh, it was the most uh, play action passes between the numbers he's thrown all year. That was a big part of their offense that they haven't had over the first month or two. It was the offense that we've seen in the past. And I think if they can continue this and they can run the ball a little bit better going forward, I think it, it's viable that they turn this around and, and the defense looked better. Like they played with more effort, and that's been a concern. Todd Bowles talked about them kind of like living off that Super Bowl. I think that was some shade towards Devin White in particular, but he played his best game of the year yesterday, and I think that was a big reason why they won and held a good Seahawks offense to, what was it, 16 points? And then Green Bay, it was like the same thing. They finally ran the offense as, as LaFleur designed it. They stopped lining up in the gun on most early downs. They ran... 24 times from under center. That's a, a season high. 
They had a bunch of rushing yards, obviously. And then they got the play action passing game going, which they hadn't had over the first two months. Also, the only thing is the receivers are still not great. And when teams play man coverage, it's going to be a problem. Whereas the Bucks, they have what, like three solutions to that problem, especially if Chris Godwin gets going a little bit here. I think that's the big difference. I, I have way more trust in the Bucks than Green Bay. And they also play in the NFC South. So they might win seven games and still host a playoff game. True story. So you're not buying the Christian Watson thing? I need to see it again. I need to see it more than like, what, three snaps? There were still some ugly yes. reps for him. He still had a key drop on third down. He couldn't track a deep ball that could have gone for a touchdown. It was it, it was it, it was like he thought, like, I'm I'm not in the read progression. Like, he just wasn't even paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I will give Aaron Rodgers credit because I've been tough on Aaron Rodgers and I got to hate his body language. Um, but he went back to Christian after that. Yeah. Like he kept going down. to him. So it, so at least, you know, the Chiefs game stood out to me though. I think that low key was like one of the most important games for that team that we've seen this season. Kadarius Tony, I, I thought he was like the ideal addition. And I know it's easy to say that in hindsight after he has this, it's not like a monster game, but it was a pretty big game for him. But they have been kind of trying to figure out how to replace Tyreek Hill by committee. They have Juju do the underneath stuff on third down. They have MVS do the deeper routes, but now they have this guy who they could throw a pass to for like 10 yards and he could break it. He could take it to the house at any moment. And that was like the, the edge they were lacking, even though you like looked at the results and they were winning games, they were atop the league and all the stats, but they didn't have that, that feeling where they could score on any play. And I think Tony gives them that. And then Mahomes, I mean, he's taking his game to the next level. I was willing to debate like Justin Herbert challenging him. Josh Allen challenging him like even two weeks ago, it's over yeah. now. Like it's him, it's him and everyone else is playing for second. Like he's, it's not even like the deep stuff. It's not like the novelty plays that we saw over the first couple of years where he's chucking it to Tyreek deep or are like getting 80 yard passes on RPOs. Like this is like legit quarterback and like mid range. Yep. Like second act of Michael Jordan, Jordan's career type stuff that we're seeing. And he's just entering his prime. He, he's just, just turned 27. I don't know what, what is he going to look like at age 30? I don't know. It could be Tom Brady plus Michael Vick plus uh, name your strong arm quarterback, Randall, Randall Cunningham. I don't know. It's it. There's no precedent. There's no ceiling. It's the perfect example for the MVP conversation. Just to take this uh, full circle, you know, Daniel Jeremiah um, talks a lot about in his draft evaluation about tractors and trailers. Like, are you the guy pulling or are you the guy that is getting pulled? Like, are you having success because all the pieces around you are so good and you're just kind of like, you're part of the group? Or are you the guy that's pulling people up? And Patrick Mahomes is the perfect example of the tractor, right? Like they literally shipped Tyreek Hill away. And you could argue like just at the individual positions, they got worse, but it still fits within a scheme. And they're like, we trust that Patrick Mahomes is going to make all of this better. Like he's so good that we can downgrade to a degree from a skill set standpoint and still be just as good offensively. It's the opposite of, and again, not to go back to Tua, but like it, you know, we don't know that about Tua, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, it's, it's a different conversation for them because it's so clear the ways in which they make everybody around them better. And you still, these people have to be good, 
but he doesn't need the best wide receiver in the NFL right. on the field with him to, to elevate his play or to make him unlocked or good. And if you take that person away, then all of a sudden he's super average. Yeah. I mean, I think even calling him a tractor at this point is insulting. He's like an aircraft carrier. He's like the thing that they played the Michigan State Gonzaga basketball game on the other day. That, that's Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. You can, play a, you can play a basketball game on his back right now. I would even say, that sitting on that trailer being pulled is Andy Reed right now. Like I'm not, I think Andy Reed's still a fantastic coach, a very good coach. But when you watch the film, it's not like Patrick Mahomes has all these layups. Like there's still the red zone creativity and they, they have some, some like nifty plays and short yardage, but like the down to down offense is just Patrick read out the play, find an open guy. I, we don't know who it's going to be, but you're going to find him, And he does it every time. Like this is, this is the most impressive he's ever been to me. And I know the numbers aren't going to look like 2018 or 2019 at the end of it. Maybe they will. I don't know. But this is the best version of Patrick Mahomes we've ever seen. And he gets better every week. And I thought the game against Jacksonville was the most impressive game that I've seen out of this offense since before the Bucs Super Bowl, maybe. Mm. Did Tony need to do that hop thing into the end zone, though? Was that a, was that a shot at the Giants? I, I hope so. The Giants deserve a shot because I think their handling of Tony was just so bad. Like, I get the whole thing. We didn't draft him. He, there were issues off the field. Like, he had trouble getting on the field. And I get why you might, like, be like, this. I, I don't want this headache anymore for a player I didn't draft. But his talent is undeniable. And it was undeniable the few times he got on the field in New York. And going back to his college film, like, I don't know how you give up on a player that unique. And we saw it instantly in Kansas City. Not just like he had the one catch and run where he did like a side, uh, like a sideline spin and somehow stayed in bounds and picked up an extra like 12 yards. And then he goes up for a contested catch and catches it over two defenders. It looked like Tyreek on that play. So I, I can't believe we gave Patrick Mahomes this guy. I can't believe we gave Andy Reid this guy. How did the NFL do this? Steven, you're the best. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. The Steven Ruiz on Twitter. That is where you can find him and his work. Also, The Ringer and the Ringer NFL show podcast. A few other things we didn't have a chance to get to. The Panthers are going to go back to Baker Mayfield for week 11. PJ Walker has a high ankle sprain and will not be able to go. So it's going to be Baker with Sam Darnold backing him up. Really bad news out of the desert regarding Zach Ertz. He left yesterday's game with a knee injury and will, according to Ian Rappaport, miss the rest of the season. So maybe a chance for the rookie Trey McBride to work in a little bit more there. Also notable from the Cardinals today, uh, straight up surprising, in fact, Eno Benjamin released, just cut. Just kind of a weird football move if it is, in fact, a football move. He seemed to be a pretty competent backup for James Conner. Started three games in his place, had 113 scrimmage yards back in week seven. In fact, he averaged more yards per carry than James Conner has this year. But he will now be subject to waivers. We'll see where he ends up. For the Broncos, it's a mild ankle injury for Jerry Judy, apparently. We don't know if he's going to play this week or not, but apparently it's not the worst case scenario there. And back in Las Vegas, which we already talked about quite a bit, two things. Josh McDaniels said in response to Carr's comments, I don't have any issue with the effort, which again, I do, and I don't even care. 
So unless he's saying something totally different to the players in-house, I'm not sure that makes me feel better that the team is in good hands. But apparently, Mark Davis thinks that it is. According to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, he says that Josh is doing a fantastic job. Quote, we did an exhaustive search and found the person we believe is going to bring the Raiders to greatness. So I hope he's right. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday with more NFL Roadshow. If you're not a subscriber and you don't want to miss that episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and it'll be there waiting for you as soon as it's out. If you want to hit that five-star button, that would be awesome. If you think there's something that I'm not seeing with regard to the conversations that we had today, I would love to hear your thoughts. You can leave a review or you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram at Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The producer of the NFL Roadshow is Andrew Emmer, and the show itself is a part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. I hope you have a great early week. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. Enjoy the game tonight. May you get all the fantasy points that you need to win your matchup. Serious XM Podcasts.